This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. But I, I discovered this gentleman, like, I'm going to claim you, because uh, I Go watch Survivor. I'm apparently the only person under the age of 60 who watches Survivor. So that's what Smiz tells me. Uh, and I I think there's a little age discrimination going on here. He's like, my parents watch. My really? mother still watches. I was like, all right, Smiz. I used to watch it with them. All right, whatever, whatever. <laughs> I'm loyal. I'm even in this season That's great. with all of everybody, Sandra, Rob. And, oh, I'm, I'm in it. This is the one to be in right now. Yes. So I watched the first week to see how many black people are on. And it's my contention if there's two or more gathered, we're going to win. And I've been correct because black people actually do stick together. Let's stop fighting that, you mm. know, that myth. We do stick together when given the opportunity, and I've watched it play out. Well, So last season, <laughs> oh, season 39 two, or, might two or more, Yeah, if we're on the same team, same tribe. Okay, you, you think you, about you. it. Think yeah. of, Go through the history. Right, through and when the history. they had, I'll, remember, I'll, I'll test that theory hold on, out. I, I'm going to introduce you right, before I argue with you. All right. He was on Survivor. He's a Brown graduate. He's a great guy, psychology person. Let me welcome to the show Mr. Jamal Shipman. What's going See? down, everybody? See? That year they did the experiment where they separated the yes. teams. Season 13. The last Cook three Islands. were black. That's right. And Earl took, took four, the cake. Four, 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 four. Yeah. Three made it to the finals. That's right. The year, that, the couple of years that Sandra won, I believe my girl, um, what, who was the nurse? Uh, Siri, yeah. Was on one of those teams. That's true. If there's two or more, which is rare, they only put two of us in at a time. Right. But season 39 was different because it was me and Lauren on Vokai, and then you had Aaron and Missy on Lyra. Yes, but Aaron doesn't identify as black. That is not true. Okay, Take let's that talk. back right now. Aaron, the one with the socks? Aaron, the one with, with the, the child socks. With the white he wife? Is as black. You just had a show talking about oh, how you could show up in the world all right, and Come be on, black me, and be me, amazing at what all you right, do. All right, so he was black, black, black? A black, black, black. Absolutely. But y'all, Absolutely. it was only two of you were on one team. There was two each. each. But it, you weren't together. But then when we merged, four black people made the, the, the merge. Right, but That's here's amazing. what happened. Here's what happened. Young black girl called it out. What was her name? What, Lauren, you talking about? Lauren. Didn't she say, Jeff? Um, this is the first time oh, in history. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blah blah blah. He oh, ain't Missy. like that. No, you talking about Missy. Missy. Yeah, Missy. yeah, yeah. No, Missy called out Jeff yeah. saying, not called out, but well, just she did pointed call him out. out. Pointed she did out. call him out because he was yeah. uh, he was a little salty though. I he, could tell. He, he 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 did the thing where he was like, well, if I would have called it out, I would have been then I would have been racist. that guy, you right. know, who like sees color, and I thought I should just think it's remarkable that a black person could win immunity. It's it's just like everybody else. Right. So that was his whole point. Right, which was bogus. Right. Um, and I, he showed himself that day. But the next week she went home. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> they both of them did. They did. Both of them. Bam, bam. Because they had double elimination. I was like, yeah. they on some CBS, y'all on some bull. It was but four I'm a... people of color in a row because it was Kelly Kim. Oh, right. And then me. You. And then, and then, Aaron, then boom, and boom, then boom. Yeah. Got rid of all of y'all. Yeah, yeah. They were like, we're not going to, there's going to be a mutiny. Because they saw what was happening. Yeah, there was a power center. For yes. Sure. There was a struggle. There was definitely a power struggle. And that was the same, was that the same season with the, the um, sexual assault? Because the young lady still, she's still mad. She's still, and she should be. There were cases of inappropriate touching. Yes, that dude was <laughs> touching language, everybody. Language is I think important. he touched you too. Did he touch you too, <laughs> he Jamal? He did not touch me. Okay, all right. I wish he would. Right. No, right. he did no, not touch playing. me. Yeah. All right, so Jamal, so yes, you, you had the pivotal moment that I thought was one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful moments in Survivor history, where you had a guy on your team, you were cooking, the, there was some rice being cooked. The pot was hot. You used your buff, mm -hmm. which we've called it from t since 20 Season years one, ago. It's always known as a buff, yeah. To pick up the pot 
and he says to you, why didn't you use your do-rag? Or right. you should use your do-rag. And you tell us what happened. Because yeah. the, the audio is horrible. Uh, sure. So, so the, that, that is exactly what happened. Um, and first of all, his name is Jack, and he's my boy. Okay. I like Jack a lot. Jack is a friend of mine. We lived together during the airing of our season. Uh, so we were roommates for a while. So we were friends, friends. Like we were hanging out, um, which actually ties into the, the point I like to make about this at the end of it. But that is what happened. He, he offhandedly calls my buff a do-rag, and I'm the only black person on my tribe at that time. And so the question is, why does my buff become a do-rag, but everybody else's is a buff? And so I just had a very natural reaction that was like, hey, what? What do you mean do-rag? Like, do-rag? And then I do the whole thing. That was kind of deep-seated. Like, what was, what was going on there for you? Um, and he felt bad. He felt bad about it. And I, and I appreciate that he kind of immediately saw that it, that it struck me. Um, and to his credit, right? When he saw that, he didn't get defensive. He didn't, you know, say, oh, I'm not racist. I didn't mean anything by it. You know, you could take a joke, lighten up. It's not a big deal. He came over to me right away and said, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And I would like to talk more about this later. And, that, and, that, and that's why I respect him so much for that, because he took that opportunity to really let me know that he took it to heart, that someone that he cared about, because we were allies in the game, we were friends, and he took the time to really understand why it bothered me, because I don't think he fully understood. He just knew that I reacted not the way that he thought I would to a joke that he what was making. What did he making. think you were going to do? What, what was the thought? I don't think he was thinking, and that is also my point, right? Like, there was something subconscious about him using that language, I think, um, and so I think it was a real moment for him to take stock of what's going on in him that made him say that. So I brought it to the airwaves because I thought your handling of that, and this is what made it powerful for me because mm -hmm. I, I, I always picture myself in that situation and I would not have handled it that way. Mm -hmm. But you handled it brilliantly. Like you, you had words and you had enough measure. Like I might have given him his whole lunch to eat verbally. <laughs> And it would have turned into a thing. Yeah. Not, I wouldn't even raise my voice, but I would have, I would have told him all about his ancestors and Ooh. like I'm always warm and ready for somebody to come swiftly. Right. So I'm prepared for that. Mm -hmm. You took it in a direction that made it a teachable moment, not just for that young man there, but for a whole host of other white folk yeah. for whom that is built and baked into their DNA almost mm -hmm. like that that reaction, that visceral kind of you know racism that is built in that you can't quite say what it is because it's it's one of those well i just said that why is that that's mm -hmm. not the n-word you know yep. is your psychology training does that give you that Come, or is it your family your background yeah it's, it's a good question like where does that come from right yeah and i heard you talking on the show about like you know people can come at a situation like that from all different angles and everybody is is right like if you can do it do it great but do it how you do and we're all part of that same fight um i think for me i've just been in the world of uh, education, independent school education for such a long time. I was an admissions counselor uh, at two different prep schools uh, for the past nine years, uh, working with the children of very affluent white kids and parents. And I have just had to develop a way to communicate and present myself so that I can be heard and so that I can get through to the ultimate goal, which is for people to be more understanding, right? And to and to check their their behavior and, and care about me as a person, right? That's how we change the world, right? One handshake at a time. If you know somebody who identifies differently than you, you're more likely to be 
sympathetic to their experience. And so I was that for a lot of people for a long time. Mm. So I just kind of developed a skill set that was like, okay, I hear your heart. I know where you're at. I know that you're not carrying ill will towards me. Maybe you didn't mean it this way, but this is an opportunity to have a deeper conversation in a way that you might not have heard before. So that's that's really where it, where it came from. It was very instinctual. I kind of put the game aside uh, and and just had a really t- you know heart to heart moment with a friend. We were, we were we were friends out there. I I felt that that moment made some people uncomfortable, including. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I yep. want to know where you come from. Where, where oh, are you sure. from, Jamal Shipman? Yeah, so I grew up in Jersey City. Oh, so Jersey. right right across the river. Yeah, Jersey City guy. Uh, I grew up in Jersey City. Public what school. school did you go to? PS, no, uh-huh. PS twenty seven. I went to uh, public school from kindergarten to eighth grade, okay. which is where my mom teaches right now. She's a fourth grade teacher uh, at PS twenty seven, and I actually got into the prep for prep program here in New York, which is a program here that prepares inner city students of color for independent schools, day schools in New York, and boarding schools across the East Coast. <laughs> So I went to Milton Academy for high school, which is outside of Boston. So that was my high school experience, ninth through twelfth grade. Is that a boarding school? It's a boarding school. Tell yeah. me, about, tell me, give me one story that just kind of captures that four-year experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the topic of my college essay, <laughs> so I, I know it very well. Just the, the that experience, right, of of literally coming from a very mixed background right and and truly mixed right like when i was in public school there was indians filipinos jersey right hispanics black people like it was a true mix it wasn't homogeneous and so going to milton was such a culture shock because that's when i truly understood the concept of minority like that didn't make any sense to me for a while because i was like why are we called minorities right and all the you know the 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 media and everything all the minorities minorities what does that mean everywhere i look i see all kinds of people. I'm not in the minority. Um, but when I got up there, I was like, oh, okay. So they just have their own thing over here. Um, and I represented the the attempt of the school to kind of level the playing field and bring in uh, uh, students of color to, to kind of diversify the school a little bit. Um, so that first day they had the 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 first assembly the, the whole entire high school they had the bleachers you know the bleachers that they go on an angle and it's the it's like 800 maybe 700 kids in the school and just the visual is striking like just white people just all white and you know little little spots here and there little clusters cuz you know the black people stick together in these kinds of environments um and that was my first reckoning of like okay i i've i've i'm doing something different i'm doing something different here um, and just constantly being aware of how I was being perceived, you know, just constantly like wondering, like, why are you why are you talking to me different than you're talking to him? And why are you, uh, you know, calling me out in ways that you wouldn't call out the white students? And and, and why are you making assumptions about how I grew up and what I hear in my neighborhood? You know, just to constantly being reminded that, OK, I'm I'm representing something that I don't even fully understand for these white people. I'm actually learning about their assumptions about black mm. people through their assumptions about me, which is fascinating, fascinating experience for a 14 year old kid. What can we learn? Because, you know, the other thing that was stunning is that while you were on this island, Survivor, mm. had that experience, handled with, with handled it with elegance and grace. You were still 100 percent very, very black and unapologetic in that. Right. Like I knew mm-hmm. when I was watching you, which is why I'm like when I, I reached out to you yeah. on Twitter, I'm yeah, like, we were, I we were talking it up. I got to have you on here because 
the navigation of that space was so important because I know you changed heart and minds without giving up a piece of yourself, mm -hmm. which we get a lot of us when we go into those environments. We we lose ourselves. We we become very milk toast and you know we our our tones are are much more muted and we we don't want to you know agitate white people and make them afraid of us and so we bring it all the way down and, mm -hmm. and yeah. we become you know facsimiles of ourselves yeah but you weren't you were very you're very yours i felt like you were you got your message across and did so without compromising your blackness wow i, I appreciate you saying that because that i think for black people who go to these predominantly white schools in high school and in college i think that's a big fear that we all have, I think I can speak for all of them, this fear of losing ourselves, not being connected to the culture, you know, going back home and being too white, talking too proper for, for, for the neighborhood, but then going to the school and not being white enough or being too black for to, to be assimilated there. So you're caught in this middle ground and you, you have this identity crisis almost. Um, so that, that means a lot that, that you're saying that right now. And I think that's a testament to maturity, right, growth. And, and and losing some of that caring <laughs> about what other people think, right? Because you're right, I was completely myself. Um, and I felt safe to do that. And this is where, again, I do credit Jack because he made me know that he was prioritizing our relationship, right? He was prioritizing our friendship. I probably couldn't come at any white person the way that I came at Jack, you know what I mean? Like, I think he made it possible for me to, to know that I could go there with him and he would hear me and he would receive me. Otherwise, I might have been quiet. I might have not said anything because I'm playing a social game, right? right. And so I need right. to prioritize a my million own dollars win. on the line. Million dollars on the line. You know how who, how am I gonna come off? You know, trying to get on my soapbox, and they'll be like, "Yeah, let's vote the angry black guy off." You know what I mean? Like I had to avoid that. But in this moment, I was like, "I can do this. This makes this makes sense to me to to, to have this conversation with this guy." I'm gonna juxtapose that because you're a man. You're a tall man. You're Correct. a big man. You're yes. not just you know because. I I noticed too that they don't cast people like me. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, they don't. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they don't cast there women was, with, was, the, was... with the with uh, the with the African paradigm no, of beauty. No, 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 no. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a, I have a particular kind of personality. The closest to me is Sandra. Uh, you think so? Yeah. There, there's a couple. Vesepia, mm -hmm. way back in the day. Yes. You know, but it's it's rare, and most of the men that they cast are like. Who's the grave digger? James, you know, <laughs> yeah. somebody that may not, you know, do you know what I'm saying? I know what you mean. You know, they're, they're tropes. Like mm -hmm. they, they cast in these very stereotypically, mm -hmm. you know, like they would think that they're casting partic a particular personality type by bringing me on and then get their whole entire lives rocked. Right. <laughs> because it's not what you see. Like, I know what I see with Sandra is not what I really see. And she wins, though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she could give a she's playing a that woman. I'm like, so give me some She's behind the scenes. Well, well. so first of all, this was Jeff Probst's first cast. So there was a big mix-up in, in the casting world of Survivor. So Jeff Probst was the most hands-on in casting our season. That's why you saw a lot of diversity. So not only was there four black people, but you had Karishma, right. uh, the first Indian American. She got on my last nerve. I understand. Can I stand her? Representation matters. She, she no, was no, out there. Y'all could have done better with that representation. <laughs> she was. All right. You had you had Vince, who's you know Mung out there. You had yes. Kelly Kim, right? You had Nora, who uh, is also has a, like a Middle Eastern background. So you had a very diverse cast, and I think that 
is kind of what made it real interesting, right? And that's what made the landscape so rife with the opportunity to have those clashes right. and talk them through. Right, right. That wasn't, I mean, you did, you saw not even half of it, right? Like okay. we, had, we had deep conversations about difference and race and, you know, everyone's experience. Like me and Karishma had really amazing conversations. Did you? Yeah. She got my last nerve. <laughs> if I never hear her name again, I'm good with I it. I understand. I understand. Right. She had a particular role uh, No, she had a victim. She was show. playing this victim, victim thing. Like, uh, yeah. I understand. I was like, yeah. girl, please. Money-wise. She lasted longer than me. She did. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you had not had that moment, you would have lasted longer. Because I think you once think? when white people are confronted with it, even though your your boy was good and y'all ended up being cool, I think it, it set a, a table mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, we can't say do-rag. And once you don't allow somebody to do something that they want to do, whether it's the N-word or whatever, they will say, I'm wrong. But it's again, it's unconscious bias is what we're always constantly fighting, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as you point something out, somebody did, then they're like coming for you, so to speak. And mm -hmm. you, you you shouldn't have been out that, I was like, oh, I know. I, I knew right after that, I was like, he's going to be next because you just made everybody uncomfortable. No, I, I don't see the one-to-one. -one. I hear what you're saying in terms of like watching it. I was I was out there. I know that. I know there was a lot more that you don't know that okay. was out there okay. and, and okay. the vibe and all that. What I will say, though, is I think more at play was the fact that very early on, people felt more comfortable with each other than they felt with me, right? I think there were some alliances that were forming early on that I clearly don't, couldn't I couldn't crack. I couldn't crack because mm -hmm. there was just a comfort level right I think I'd had that extra hurdle of distrust and 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 waiting to see who is this guy based right? on I I would I would say probably based on race you okay. know based on my size based on the you know my lived experience that's probably a little bit different than everybody else. We're talking with Jamal Shipman. Of course, Dr. Carr is here. You can jump in at any time. I'm just like, I don't know. Do you watch Survivor? I'm listening. No, but I'm taking notes. Okay, all right. <laughs> so you don't have to. If you, if you haven't been, it's, it's, it's a, a fascinating show. social experiment. It where really they put, is. They yeah. grab people. Well, I remember from back in the day. Right. They yeah. put them on an island. Yeah. Back in the day, they literally had to like eat rats and stuff. Right. Now, That's what do I they remember. feed you now? No. So, so that they rice is your rice? You. They give you a bowl of rice that you have to make last for 20 days because that's the merge. And that's all you get. Except for some of the then you reward get some of these challenges. rewards right. here and there. But the rewards that I got, because Vokai was strong in the beginning. I don't know if you remember that yes, part I of the show, remember. but Vokai yes. was killing it. You know, we, were, we we had a guy on the tribe that was really good at puzzles. I don't know if you saw that. Um, that was it me. was you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, come on. Yeah. I was rooting. Um, but uh, we got donuts. You know, and who, wants, got, who should be pastries. eating donuts? And it's it's just like you know, it tasted good, you know, because sugar it, you're, high. Yeah, you're yeah, without the sugar, good, right. but it's not sustaining you, right? You know what I mean? So yeah, we, I lost a lot of weight. Okay, a lot of water weight. Yeah, something that you ate that we didn't see you eat. Oh, we ate all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so when we was over at Lyro, Kelly and Dean were really good at crabbing. So they would go on the rocks, and they came back with like buckets of crabs just from the from the rocks, and we boiled them, ate them up. I, I probably ate those crabs for like three hours straight, just sitting there, just sucking on the juices, every single leg. Like, I've never cleaned out a crab shell. Okay. <laughs> Why did you want to do Survivor? I was a fan, like you, right? And I did the thing where you're sitting on the couch and you're just like, I could do that. I, could do that. I think I could do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm there and, and, you know, I'm a psychology major, so I'm appreciating the psychological experiment. That is the game and wondering if I have the the chops to be, you know, manipulative and and deceitful and and and, and win a million dollars. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? Where'd you go to the bathroom? 
<laughs> that's the big question. That's that's the million dollar question right there. Um, well, that would be the only thing that would keep me off that because mm-hmm. I like I need my space. I need to, you know, right. you, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Not Not the alone. car and stuff got to like I can't right. go public. I can't even go to a public restaurant. I don't know too many black women who can, frankly. Yeah, it's just I, like it's I, nasty. I People nasty. Of, yeah, I'm like, all right. Am I digging no. a hole in the sand? You know? Am I going in the ocean? And then if I'm going in the ocean, then it's like stuff's floating in the oceans. I don't want. Mm-hmm. I don't want to swim right. through that. Please, well, Jamal, this, help. This me. is what you do. So you have some cold words out there. Right. So you got the camera guys all over and mm-hmm. filming everything. So you say, hey, everybody, I'm going to the coconut grove. That's the code word. So if you're ever watching Survivor, you hear somebody say Coconut Grove. That means they're going to go do their business. Uh, so you say, oh, I'm going to do Coconut Grove. I'll be back. Um, and so then you wade over into the little tide pool. You know, you got the rocks around so the waves aren't, you know, pushing you over. You, you know, get you brace yourself you take a little squat so you're going in the ocean absolutely yeah. and the, the the waves gently you know Wash encourage it. you it's to like do, a nice, do your thing it's nice natural sense. bidet it is, I, right. I, I gotta tell you it is a beautiful experience it's cleaner it's gorgeous the sun's setting you know the air is warm it, it's really I recommend okay. it <laughs> so what if someone has to come right behind you uh, is there only one of these? Well, the ocean's big. <laughs> okay, all right. right. No, but it seems like y'all created this space here. Yeah, it's where you go, but you know, you just make sure there's no uh, no other brown person. tuna floating around. Oh my all. god! <laughs> and that's where we end up anyway, right? That's where all the waste ends that's up what anyway. I'm talking about in you, the water, you're swimming with the sharks, just cut out the middleman. That's all. The fishes, it's all I there. I want to hear this. I watch Disney films, and it's like you know, <laughs> yeah. finding Nemo. I'm Disney, like, Disney creates a world where people don't go to the bathroom. Right. That is true. Right, that right. is true. No, it's very real. Very all real right. on Survivor. This fascinating. The <laughs> biggest challenge of being out there. How many days did you last? I lasted 24 days. It's not bad. It's, not it's bad. a 39 a day 39 adventure. Days, exactly. And I did all the milestones except for the family visit. That was the right. big one that I wish I gave my, gave my mom the opportunity to come out and support me out in Fiji. But I, I couldn't do it. The school teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That would have been nice. She, she, was, she had a backpack. It was like right there. Like she almost was about to get damn, on the plane. Damn people. I know. They and messed then there it was up. A structural, I mean, there was a structural firing of the blacks is that what you no, said no 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 so you vote off so it's an island right, I, get, people, I got that blah, 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 blah. but within the space of a minute they were all gone no it was I, I, what is the it was time two, frame? Like two episodes so it's uh in about about three days three days three okay days. so i so got voted pro- out then three days right. later so you, aaron you and missy gets voted out lauren you, makes it all the way to the end lauren, does lauren make it. makes it she, she makes it to fourth place okay so she's in the finale okay. and she she represented she, she, she was out there she did boy i'm listening to y'all talking i'm thinking this is a clinical kind of thing. The questions you're asking, the answers y'all's back and forth, and I'm thinking to myself, a cat from Jersey City whose mother's a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know what has happened on the shores of the Hudson over there. I lived, actually, I lived in Jersey City when I was clerking for the Legal Defense Fund. I get up every morning and go through, it was really heavily Spanish speaking, but a lot of black folk, and of course now, it's, Very you know, Indian. Oh my goodness. Mm. But I'm thinking, for them to pick you out and to put you in that program, and there was similar programs. I remember like a better chance in Princeton. I mean, there's different kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, then you seeds and seed, no question, yeah, stepping stone, all those things. Then you move into a a, a white facing environment, mm-hmm. and have more or less been in that white facing environment since then, the whole yeah, time, basically. But listening to this, I'm thinking to myself: first of all, I'm very tired. <laughs> no, 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 because I'm thinking about, you know, Ralph Ellison, Invisible Man. When, when Ellison says, I'm invisible because you refuse to see me. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying a cat named Jamal, first of all, and I want to ask you where your name came right? Moving into this space like that in Rhode Island, then going to Brown, then coming into this space, and then working in the space you work in. Yeah. 
boarding school is the kind of thing that this cat, uh, Richard Dawkins, went to boarding school in England. You know, he's born in Kenya. But anyway, so. Oh, I can't wait to have oh, that yeah. conversation. But no, but, yeah, but same thing. One of, the t- one of the oldest three boarding schools in England. Then he goes to Oxford and one of the oldest colleges in Oxford. Very white facing. And would say that he's not a racist. I guess what I'm asking, I, I the question was running through my mind and still running through my mind. How difficult is it to always be the teacher? Mm. In other words, to live your humanity in a way that you are constantly on display for others to learn Mm -hmm. in a space where they have the option to learn or not to learn. Because I wonder how many of those people you've engaged over the last decade plus, two decades close now of your life, would come to where you grew up Mm -hmm. and sit with your mom and her students and teach them. Yeah, I don't know. I'm asking. No, it's a great it's a great question. So what I would say to that is, first of all, I'm an educator, right? So I just have that gene that yes. likes to be in educative spaces. When you're talking to a 14-year-old, you are always teaching. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Whether it's about race and why they said what they said is inappropriate or it's, you know, can you please get your homework done before 9.30 so I don't have to yell at you. You know, like it's the same as you're just teaching all the time. No question. Um, so I just have that educator vibe to yes. me. Um, but also what I would say is I don't have a monopoly on wisdom about lived experience. No, of course. I have my experience and it is the easiest thing to teach because it's mine. Mm. But I challenge myself to also understand my own power. Right. Like I don't understand what it's like to be a woman. I don't understand what it's like to be Muslim in a post 9-11 world. You know, I don't understand what it's like to be trans, to be homosexual. Right. So 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 I challenge myself to also be learning all the time. Right. But I can offer my own perspective. And, and that's my like gift to the collective uh, 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 community of, of learning and, and inclusive. Uh, uh, yeah. C- inclusive community that we're trying to create in these in these schools. Yeah. So it doesn't get exhausting because I'm not seeing myself as always teaching. Mm. I'm seeing myself as participating Mm. And we're all learning and teaching each other. Mm. That sounds, you know, it sounds like it sounds like what W.E.B. Du Bois said. In 1897, he gave a talk called The Conservation of Races. And he said, this is why you cultivate culture. You cultivate culture so that you can develop a broad sympathy. So rather than the Negro, as he would say, or black people or people of African descent shrinking. No, you solve it by growing. Mm. So you didn't move. You just kept expanding. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you keep expanding, people have, have to, to deal with you. That's what I loved that's about powerful. Jamal Simpson. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk when we come back since uh, Dr. Carr brought up uh, Richard Dawkins. He on Twitter uh, <laughs> said something to the effect that eugenics as a practice is not so bad. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about why that's problematic. Richard Dawkins, who I had a beef with um, I, yeah, it was weird. This was before social media. This had to be late, early, mid-90s. Come I on. was on CNN talking about atheists, and I made a wisecrack, like they probably need a holiday or something or maybe a greeting card. They need to, you know, because <laughs> in my mind I was thinking, who knows who's an atheist? Right. It's not like I know you're black, I know you're a man, I know, you know, like I can look at you. I don't know what your religious practice is unless you make me know it. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the Bible about making me know it, then you must have an agenda. So I was calling that out, and Richard Dawkins sicked all of his people on me. This is before there was a social media. Whoa. They hit every email address I ever had with like these. And I'm, you know, I'm stupid. I'm answering all of them. Not thinking <laughs> that there was like this 
this army organized of effort. Yeah, right. I didn't even realize. I was like, uh, brr, 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 you know, I'm like, like and, and your mama. Yeah, like I'm, I'm hitting like, everybody. He's like Neo fighting everybody. Yeah, they did a video pick, putting me next to Martin Luther King. Like you can find it if you look for it. It's like really ridiculous. Like how dare you wow. say these things, you know? And Martin Luther King would have. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, and that was the first time I understood the power of this. This is this is why I understand Trump because of Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful mm-hmm. that movement is and was and I don't know what your your religious background is Jamal Simpkins but we'll talk about that but I I want to hit and it's not about atheism I love God that's my business but what he's talking about uh, eugenics in this time I think is extremely dangerous we are uh, joined by the very wonderful um, erudite is that how we do we do that is that how I say this Uh, just do it out there Jamal Shipman is in the building you can follow him at jam man Jam Man K9? That's it. What's what is the K9? You have dogs? I that, so that's my handle from like back in the day. Back when you were you, you were like, the dog. I was on AIM, like America oh, shoot. AOL. Okay. Instant Messenger that's, at twelve years Jam old. Jam Man K9. That's it. First three okay. letters of my first name. I got you. Last three letters of my last name. And dogs. I see. Okay. All right. <laughs> and we got Dr. Gray Carr, who is Africana yes. Carr, because he's the head of the Africana department at Howard. So it's Africana. <laughs> C A R A R A. Yes. Follow him. Ara Ara. Ara Ara. And we're having off mic conversations, on mic conversations. It's, they said it's President's Day, mm. but uh, <laughs> we're celebrating it a little bit differently here. You know, it's funny. In Atlanta two years ago, the Atlanta University Center tried to rename. In fact, they did that day and they hoping it caught on. They said, we're going to stop calling it President's Day. They call it Obama Day. Uh-oh. At the AUC, okay. wow. exactly. So I don't think he really caught on. Karen. No, <laughs> he's a president. Well, he was a president, but I think Obama's legacy is 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 not going to hold up the Tell way we the thought truth. it. The we, way we thought it was going to. I don't think any of us will be alive. It may be the grandchildren who might be able to get close to an intelligent conversation about Barack Obama, but it won't be our generation because if you say anything critical, you had you no, better fight. No, I think it's it's moving really quickly you like a bullet so? train. Yeah, away from. Wow. Away from Obama? Yeah. Oh, no question. It has to move away yeah. from if you're having a real conversation. Yeah, Michelle's going to live to stand, stand the test of time. Intr- oh, Barack, yeah. I don't think so. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, Jamal, we're okay. having that conversation. We're having that conversation. Let's you go. see how black this is? Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. That's we, interesting, uh, interesting perspectives here. And we should, yeah. right? It's Absolutely. just that, right? Absolutely. I may not be right. You, you know, these are opinions. and But I think we should have, you know, nice discourse around. Yeah. For me, it's like, what do we want to get? Like, I don't mm. want to have a circular conversation. What's the goal? What's the goal? And if we go down this rabbit hole, where do we end up mm. afterwards? So mm. we're not going to have that conversation today because we can have all the phone lines lit. Ooh. and We're going to, you know, sit here all day. Eli. But we need to do something different in 2020, and we need to have an agenda that has three to five items on it that are three that are must-haves, two that we're negotiating, you know, because you got to throw some really ridiculous things on your list just so that you can get the first three things. That's, That's how right. you negotiate. Like, we That's right. we need strategy. We, right. You know, we need mm-hmm. to be a little bit more sophisticated. We need to stop airing our dirty laundry. Right. We need to. Uh, but... Uh, here we are. All right. So during the break, um, actually, before we went to break, I was talking about Richard Dawkins, who is, I guess he's the head of the atheist movement. At least that's how I was introduced <laughs> to him. That's what I'm going to call him. He's yeah, the head no, of te- the- Teach me, because I, yeah. I, I don't know much about- Richard Dawkins, he, he, he calls himself an evolutionary biologist. Mm, okay. Well, he's got the credentials. Does he, though? Yeah. So so let's talk. You, you were breaking it down, yeah. Dr. Carr. Like he, yeah. you know, he went to these schools, he did these things- yeah. 
but if we are only learned in places that are teach anti-blackness. Right. And I, and I find it interesting that Carter G. Woodson went to Harvard, got a PhD, and then came out and said, this is bull crap. All right. of this is like. That's right. So how, how do you suss that out if you've only been taught anti-blackness and everything that you've done, and then you say you have credentials? Well, Karen, when, when you said, you know, today you were going to take some time to talk about Dawkins, you know, this is a very difficult conversation to have because, you know, Dawkins is trained, as I said. He's born in Kenya. His father was one of those colonial administrators. Lived to be 95 years old. Mom lived to be over 100 years old. They were basically African colonialists. That's what his parents did for the British government. He came back to England around eight or nine years old, went to a boarding school, one of the three oldest in England, then went to Oxford, studied with a Nobel laureate in biology, actually. Ended up getting a Ph.D., came over here, taught at Berkeley for a while, then went back to Oxford, which is where he stayed until he retired. He's an evolutionary biologist by training. His whole thing is, I'm dealing with reasoning. He said he read, I think it was Bertrand Russell's Why I'm Not a Christian or something as a teenager. And he said, at that point, I said, I'm an atheist. Why? Because it doesn't appeal to me, this make-believe religion. You know, he's one of those kind of people. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I found more explanatory force in the work of Charles Darwin. So he's he is an evolutionary biologist. He's nowhere. He's saying he, he wrote a book called The Blind Watchmaker. Some his basic thesis is, you know, there is no intelligent design. There is no master creator. All this stuff is just accident. So how does that relate to eugenics? Well, when he says something like he's recently he just said, well, first of all, atheism. When somebody like that with that kind of platform, who's clearly a, a first rate academic, says he's an atheist, then every atheist comes out the woodwork and says, hey, he's with us. It's like they've recruited this kind of guy. And he he likes the spotlight. When people criticize him, he reads the criticism, the emails and texts on YouTube. I mean, he likes that kind of, he's a provocateur. But when somebody like that takes something that's well settled in biology and then tries to, uh, to throw it out there for social commentary, that's when it goes off the rails. Well, he said, it's one thing to deplore eugenics on ideological, political, and moral grounds. He right. said, and he has 2.8 million followers mm. on Twitter. It's quite another to conclude that it wouldn't work in practice. He said, of course it would. It works for cows, horses, pigs, dogs, and roses. Why on earth wouldn't it work for humans? Facts ignore ideology. What are your thoughts on that? What are you, when you're looking curious, Jamal. I just don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Okay. So what? He's, he's saying that. What, what is he actually trying to say? That you could y'all are criticizing eugenics, but it works. And I'm I'm gonna throw the dogs in there because when we play with God, when we play God with dogs, for example, and you come up with a snickerdoodle or you know you mm -hmm. you breed you breed animals, they always have defects. No, they question. always have physical, mental, some sort of teeth. They don't live long. Mm -hmm. The hips don't do they don't they work need to do. right. Yep. The the longest living, most healthy animals are mutts. Right. I got an eleven-year-old mutt right now. Yeah, they they live long, strong. When we when we human genetic, you know, when we when we manufacture and put this together with that, or we eliminate these genes or what have you, I don't know what he's saying, but I know he's saying something. And it's a dog whistle. It's very loud. Is it? I, I think it. Is I mean, it a th dog whistle? Think about natural selection. If if animals select other animals by natural selection then whatever is produced is a consequence of their attraction for whatever reason. There's social attraction, there's biological, physiological attraction. But here's the thing, the concept eugenics, and all eugenics means, the word literally means to create a better group, a better gene, a better gene pool, a better brain. Think about natural selection in the social context. What are we, what are we kind of socialized to, to like? Here's the problem. Eugenics up until World War II is considered a 
fairly uncontroversial and positive term. Eugenics, the eugenics movement is really the beginning of, of something that we can think of as race science. Did you, Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger. No, yeah. Planned Parenthood, a peaceful form. Some people shouldn't have babies. That's what that's what she's saying. And she's being embraced by people, not just the scientists. I'm talking about social science. Think of this, for example, the IQ test. All that stuff comes out of the eugenics movement. So people are taking tests. Why? So you're trying to identify who's the better, who's the better. And I'm sure, Jamal, in, in the spaces that you had to move in, man, people have families that say, yeah, you don't want to marry outside of the group that's going to the same schools. It has the same. Zona Hurston said black folks are fool over color in here. If we have an honest conversation, how many black people say, I want to marry him or I want to have a baby with her because this is the socialization to create a better. It's like a social eugenics. I literally had a friend that Come married somebody because mm. his hair was straight. No question. She wanted her children to have yeah. straight hair. You understand? Hair. This is the thing. So, when, so we're not talking about science now. We're talking about social science. Race is not a biological reality. That's been established by the scientists, the geneticists. But it is absolutely a social reality. It's my friend Lou Outlaw, philosopher down at Vanderbilt. Brother Outlaw says, I can call that bus coming the wind, but if I stand in front of it, I'm going to get run over. He says, so please understand, race may not be real in your mind, but the social forces that allow for it to operate are real. Mm -hmm. So when a scientist like Dawkins comes out and says this, you know what took the geneticists left? The Nazis. The Nazis took the geneticists left. And after World War II, it was no longer something you could talk about like that. But before World War II, you could look at people. The NAACP used to have a competition for the best looking baby and publish it in the crisis NAACP. magazine. Oh, no question. But don't we do that? Oh, this baby is so beautiful. Oh, that baby. Based on Gerber. I, I want your baby to bury my baby. Right, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But, but the whole thing is, is social context. The social science. Statistics. Demography. These are branches of social science that come directly out of race science. The fact that we talk about an achievement gap between black and white students, you know what that is? You're separating people by race. But race isn't real biologically, but it's real socially. We shouldn't even be talking about achievement gap. We shouldn't be talking about blacks and whites and Latinos as groups. But the, the scientists laugh. Dawkins is saying, look, I'm just going to put this on the table. You know why I say it would work? Because we do it with cows, we do it with dogs, we do it with flowers. The scientists would argue with him and say, nah, I don't think that would work. But the people who make the choices every day based on how people look, because how we look is a proxy for what people think about us in groups, they're looking like, I'm glad somebody finally said it. And if we're being honest, too many of our people make decisions based on how people look. How to marry, who to marry, who I want this tall person because I want my baby to be tall. Look at the NBA. I rest my case. Yeah, well, we, this is uncomfortable territory. Incredibly right here. uncomfortable. Yeah, well, well it? because it, it, well, what you're doing is you're you're blurring the line between what is genetically uh, uh, handed down, right, versus what is a consequence of our social construction mm -hmm. around those things, right? So well, that's what he's doing, and I'm acknowledging that's what he's doing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, and the thing that the, the the siren that's going off in my head, just listening to to your recount of what he's saying, is Who's making that decision? That's he's. And, and that's who, why I say it's a dog ha, whistle. Who Television has the power? It is a dog putting whistle. it on the table. Yeah, who's, who's, and, and who's, who's has the power to to make this decision about who shouldn't and, 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 what, and should recreate? And right. And wh what's the what's the ideal? Yeah. What does right. that look like? The, the right. ideal is to win. Let's, no, no, no. What's the ideal human? Oh, for the Nazis, it was. An, we, we, we knew uh, all right. recessive genes, which biologically made no sense. Come on. Except if you're planning a made television no show on an island where you want to identify the strongest. 
<laughs> Survivor. Come on now. And what did you say, Ken? what you say, Ken? I never done. see my type never. on the island. Right. Yeah. It's, because the it's people selecting, they don't know me. Come And, they, so and that's most, the answer, Jamal. So, so most the white people, they'll, they'll run into a Jamal right. Shipman. Mm -hmm. They'll run into a Jamal Shipman. And they think they know you. Right? You, we were talking off mic. You you play the trumpet. Yeah. You love you love Wynton Marsalis. Mm -hmm. You know, but and then they think they're blackening you because they know all of the hip hop lyrics. But seventy percent of that hip hop music is bought by y'all. Right. It's, mm -hmm. That's your music, yeah. actually, that we produce and we tell them how to treat us right. through our lyrics, dummies. And you're a top flight academic. Right. You don't get out. You don't get to go where you went. So, but how many people ask you to play basketball? Right. Well, that, that's the I was literally about to say. One of my favorite things to do is when somebody says that. Oh, what what you play? What you play in high school? What, what you played something? I'm like, oh, I played the flute. I played the flute real real good. I played the flute. I didn't play the flute. I played the trumpet. I did, I did, the trumpet I would be just as good. It would be just as good. Do you know? But the, it, it's just a fun you know play on on what their expectations are. But then that's the expect. Do you know the brother uh, Randy Weston just passed away a couple years ago? He's six foot seven. One of the great master piano players. They always ask Randy, what did he play? Here we got Kobe made transition, speaks several languages, grew up in Europe, the Italian fluent. Yeah, but why is he beloved? Because he played basketball. This is the this is social eugenics. Because guess what? They looking at Gianna, this this sister that made transition, she's 13 years old. But why is she so beloved at this moment? Because his father, daughter, yes. But also, Gianna was going to be the Kobe in the NBA, WNBA. Think of the way we're socialized mm -hmm. to think about black possibility. Dawkins has touched the third rail in part because it was there to touch. Yeah. Well, I think he's talking to people in a way that doesn't make me comfortable. Mm -hmm. Me neither. And, and I need us to be aware of what's coming because we talked off mic about it. Have you been, do you travel besides Fiji? Where, had you, that's that's you the been, furthest. That's, that's the, the furthest, furthest I've been? traveled and the longest I've stayed in, in another place. Okay, yeah, yeah. where else but have I've, you been? Yeah, I've been to Puerto Rico, where my, my mother's side of the family is from. Mm. Uh, I've been to Spain, uh, Germany, you know, a little little travel, okay. not, not too, too much. We're, we're talking about Africa and how. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. In bondage was 400 years, in my estimation, because people yeah. did not see themselves. They didn't see it coming. They did People not. had a plan for their right. whole entire continent right. that they weren't privy to. They didn't see it coming, so they weren't prepared, didn't know how to combat it. And we talk colonization, slavery, all that can happen when you're not ready for what's coming. Mm -hmm. So I need to be ready for everything. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I see, I see what you're doing. You're, you're putting the defenses up. You're, you're starting to read, like you keep saying dog whistle. It's, it's, it's how to decode uh, uh, what, what is the modern day racism and how it, how it comes across. Because you can't quite come out and say, you know, the things you used to be able to say, right? So you start to code it. And so if you ever call it out, you have this safe uh, out, right? To say, well, no, that's not what I meant. You're making it about race. I'm just talking about, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, housing. And I'm just, you know. And if we say it enough, people get comfortable with it. Like, yeah. we're comfortable with Trump, even though a lot of us are not comfortable. No, I know, but we are. The man okay. tweeted a video, retweeted a video of a of, of a public official going to the bathroom. Right. Under normal circumstances, you would say the president of the United States sh should be doing things like that. Right. But we say, oh, that's Trump. Right. So we have been become almost anesthetized to his. Lunacy. And what is he tapping into that allows I us to have I don't know. It's him? crazy. What I'm saying, Dawkins is touching that. Well, I think it's really about uh, we, the people who see Trump do something like that and think that that's fine. It's that instinct to try to see a reflection of themselves in in power. What a fifth right? grader. That's it. 
crazy. That's it. Or, you, or, 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 or either seeing themselves or, or knowing that they could be better than what's in the White House. I, I wanted to have, Jamal, I wanted to have you here today. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to have you on frequently. Because I think we, you know, I want to have you come through and have conversations. What are you doing in your life that we can support? Yeah. And tell thank, us. Thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so if you watch Survivor, you know that there's a woman named Janet Carbon. Uh, and Janet and I were allies out on the island. Uh, and we dealt with some of the issues that came up on our season, especially when it came to the inappropriate touching and um, just kind of uh, connecting on on trying to uh, live our values. And so what we're going to do is she and I are going to team up uh, and we're going to put programming together for schools, for communities. Uh, and it's going to be called Keeping Your Fire Alive keeping your fire alive and Aww. so we're going on a speaking tour and a, she's and a, a lifeguard she's a lifeguard she's yeah. she's she is badass yeah janet is a powerful she can make fire lady she can make fire <laughs> she's six <laughs> years old she broke all kinds of records she lasted yeah. all the way to the end um got idol nullified out which was a real controversy crazy. um yeah but but she and i are teaming up and so that's something that you could you could support so Where if do you're we go? interested in uh that work or learning more about it you can email me at survivor jamal at gmail.com creative name i know j-a-m-a-l for those of you j-a-m-a-l yep survivor jamal at gmail.com and and uh we'll get we'll get more information to you but we're just getting off the ground we got our pilot session going up in april and then from then on we'll have promo material and and we're going to do it big, trying uh, to change the world. Uh, I would love for you to come back when you next time you're in New York so we can keep having conversations about different things because we just scratched the surface. I have oh, so many sure. other questions about Survivor and, and the money because that, that was where I was going next. But <laughs> we don't have time to get into yeah. all your pockets and stuff. And are you still teaching? I'm not. Still, still. No, no, so I went is... I went out. Yeah, I'm now working at a software company called Veracross. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I went into the corporate world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Getting that dollar. Uh -huh, I ain't mad uh -huh. at you. I'm, uh, I am in it. Um, oh, what is my title? Pro <laughs> Admission Product Area Consultant okay. uh, at Veracross, working with independent schools and their computer software. Oh, wow. oh okay. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty cool spot. Yeah, it's okay. a pretty cool, pretty cool job. But still staying connected to education. I'll never be too far from working with kids. And your mom's still in Jersey City teaching, which Absolutely. is dope. Absolutely. Man, yeah. props to her, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, she's in the trenches. All right, we got to go, unfortunately, because uh, you got to catch a bus, too. So thank you, Jamal yeah. Shipman. <laughs>